0: This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. So my my name is Zach Lutz. If you don't know me, I'm senior pastor here. Kyle um, is our pastoral intern uh, who was up here earlier. Uh, Jeff Heiser, uh, the man who's about to come preach, uh, actually worked from Trinity from its inception until the end of 2020. Um, He was here for Irma and Maria. Uh, He was here for the beginning of COVID, where if you look back far enough on our YouTube channel, you will actually see him back there in front of that bookcase, uh, as we gathered all of the lamps in the church to point them at him uh, as he was preaching at the beginning. Uh, He is now assistant pastor in uh, downtown Presbyterian Church of Greenville, South Carolina, uh, but is here on vacation uh, as Margaret and I's good friends staying with us and also willing to preach to us again. So... Jeff, please uh, come up and bring the Lord's word. Thank you, Zach. Hey, Trinity. It's so good to be with you guys. Um, yeah, as as Zach said, I'm pastoring in Green, a uh, pastor in Greenville, South Carolina. But my wife and I lived and served here for four years. And to say that we love this church is an understatement. It is such a privilege to be here. And when Zach said, asked me to preach, I said, absolutely, I would, I would absolutely love to. So really, thank you all for um, indulging me, letting me to preach to you this morning. I, it really is a privilege. We're going to be this morning in Philippians chapter 4. It'll be, it's there in your bulletin, or you can find it in your Bibles as well. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. The big news in Europe right now, of course, is that the, the queen has passed away. New King in England, but a couple weeks ago, I don't know if you, you all remember this or saw this on the news, but the big news out of Europe was that they were experiencing a record-breaking drought. And it's it just everything is burning up over there and drying up, and there's these stories of what's coming up and kind of revealing itself as the drought has taken its toll on the reservoirs and the rivers and even the, the grass and the landscape. Some interesting things that have come out is, one, in Spain, there's a wet reservoir that has gotten so low that it's revealed what they call the Spanish Stonehenge, which is like a circle of rocks, but it's been buried under this res- man-made reservoir. Um, it's been revealed. You can see it now. Um, in England, you have these huge country estates, and they are, um, the, as the grass has burned away, if you take a drone, you can actually see the landscapes that were laid out 400 years ago, you can still see them mat- like in underneath the gra- was normally lush grass, but now is dried up. You can see the the those those landscapes, those gardens. My favorite thing, though, however, that I've seen is that as rivers have dried up, one of the things they're finding is these stones that have been ri- like etched in and written in by past generations, and they basically, they're called hunger stones, and they say if the river gets to this level, watch out. Because famine is coming. So there's one from 1616 that they found. I think it's in Germany that they found it. And it says, if you see me, cry. Ugh, like that, that'll get shivers going down your back. This is what's being revealed by the droughts. Well, I bring that up because in the same way, it can take hardship to reveal certain biblical truths that were there for us the whole time. And Philippians chapter 4 is a passage like that. Philippians chapter 4 tells us this, you can be content regardless of your circumstances. You can be content regardless of your circumstances. Now even though that is a truth that maybe we've lost or that's been buried under the pace of life or, or even just cultural norms or what we uh, cultural priorities or what we our vision of what the good life looks like, that is a truth that Christians for centuries Generations have believed and practiced and known to be true. Now, Philippians chapter 4, if we will let it, will teach us this truth before that hardship comes so that when the hardship does come, we can know it. We can know it to be true that you and I can be con- content regardless of circumstances. We can be content regardless of circumstances. We're going to look at this passage under two points. They are contentment transcends and contentment transforms, for all you note-takers. Contentment transcends, contentment transforms. But we are kind of just parachuting down into the middle of Philippians, so I want to give you a little bit of background before we read the passage. First of all, Philippians is one of what um, scholars call the prison epistles. That means Paul was in prison as he wrote it. He was very likely under house arrest, maybe chained to a guard. He was probably dictating this letter to, to a scribe, We also know that Paul wrote, or sorry, planted the church at Philippi. He himself planted it. He knew these people. He loved them. They were special to him. He cared deeply for them, and they cared for him. And then finally, we know that the Philippian church had sent Paul a monetary gift to help him and support him in his imprisonment and his ministry, which continued even as he was in prison. So they had sent him a gift, and it really, really encouraged him. And so we're going to pick up In that context, in Philippians chapter 4, if you're willing and able, please stand with me out of reverence for God's word. We're going to be, as I said, in Philippians chapter 4. Hear now the reading of God's word. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, send your Holy Spirit among us, and Lord, find our hearts, make our hearts fertile soil for your word. Change us by it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. When Cecilia and I, my wife and I, moved from Puerto Rico about 20 months ago, we moved about 35 miles from where I, the house that I grew up in sorry, 35 minutes, not quite miles, but you know, around there. Uh, when I go visit, when you go visit my parents, you kind of take it, country, what used to be country roads, and now all there's, there's this, all this new development growing and cro- cropping up all over the place, and there's this one particular neighborhood that has come up in the last couple of years, and it's a, a, it's kind of a condo neighborhood, if that makes sense, a bunch of condos popping up, and you kind of come around this big, turn on this road, and you'll see on your right-hand side, that's the right hand for y'all, um, this right, on your right-hand side, you'll see a sign promoting this condo neighborhood. And the sign is brown, it's tan with brown lettering, and it says on there, you really can have it all in this neighborhood. You can have it all. Contentment is what that all is for you. Contentment fills in this blank. I I will be okay if blank. I will be okay if this happens. I have this. If this changes in my life, I will be okay if. Now that's something we're all pursuing in one way or another. And anytime we fill in that blank intentionally or even subconsciously, what we're pursuing is contentment. And that's why contentment is so central to our lives. It's it's why and why the question of how to be content profoundly shapes every area of our lives. I will be okay if blank. That's the question of contentment. Now those condos that you drive past on on the way to my parents' house, they're not even single family homes, right? We see that. We see that sign and we think, now that's hopelessly shallow. We all know that that's not true. We know we can see through that so clearly and yet, So much of what comes at us all the time is saying that same thing. Vacation. If I can just get one more week in the States this fall, it will put rest and joy into my heart. Ambition. If I can just climb a few more steps on this ladder... Then finally, I will have enough influence that people will value me and listen to me, and I will know that I am valuable. Or, if I can just get this mid-century modern living room to perfection, then people will come and sit in that living room, and then they will be my friends, and I will be someone who has friends, and my life will be full. Is it working? Is any of this stuff working? Do, you, do y'all now studies show? No, it is not working. But this is one of those things that studies show things that we all know. And we all know it because of storage facilities. right? Storage facilities are everywhere. I I don't know, like where I live, storage facilities are on every block. We have more things than can fit in our homes, and we just need more and more and more. It's not satisfying us. It's not filling that hole in our heart that we want to be filled. And the menu of possibilities that our culture offers us is just so limited and shallow. Consume more, make more money, become more beautiful, buy more things, finally get back home. It doesn't satisfy. It won't satisfy. But our culture offers no deeper answers that might actually work, that might actually satisfy the holes in our hearts. Except there are a few places where it maybe offers a deeper answer. And I'm talking about The Princess Bride, Sweet Home Alabama, and The Notebook. Right? Why do we love these stories? Because, I mean, in, in the, the Princess Bride, what happens? You have the beautiful girl who gives up marrying the prince, the king, so that she can marry the poor boy that she loves. Sweet Home Alabama, right, up-and-coming fashion designer, high-powered job on the way in New York City, and she gives it all up. Why? To move back to Alabama to be with the boy she loves. Of course, the notebook has that, that in it. You have the rich girl marrying the poor boy, but then you also have, at the end of life, the, the girl now has dementia. She doesn't even know who the boy is, and yet his love for her says, I don't care that you don't know who I am. I love you, and I'm with you, and that's what makes me happy. That's what fulfills, That's what fills me. Why do we love these stories? Why, why do these things capture us? It's because we long for a relationship to be more important than things or more important than circumstances or comfort. We long for the lo- a love that says, I don't care about my situation as long as I'm with you. And we want to believe that that there's such a thing as love that transcends our circumstances, that transcends lack and abundance, where true contentment can be found. But what if that love actually exists? And it's not just in cheesy rom-coms, it's actually true. The true, deep, heart-filling contentment can be found. And it will always be found attached to a love story, a love story. Now, these stories, they're just reflections of a much bigger, much better true love story, the story of the gospel. The story of the gospel is that God made us to love him. We were made to be filled with his infinite love, but our first parents rejected that love. And human beings have been trying ever since to fill that infinite hole in their hearts with things, with circumstances, with success, but it has only left us more aware of the emptiness of our hearts. But God was not content to leave us in that state, but He loved us. Not because we are beautiful or because we are rich or because we were successful, or because we could help him climb the social ladder, or because our kids were well-adjusted and well-behaved. No, he loved us. And Jesus himself left his riches and his glory for love, to love us because he loved us. He died and rose again so that we can receive and, and, and experience the infinite transcendent love that we were made for in him. The story of the Bible is a love story. The the love of a father for his children, the love of a bridegroom for his bride, the love of a God for you and me. And that story, that love is where true, deep, soul-satisfying contentment can be found. Now look at some of the things that Paul says here in our passage. Don't these sound somewhat like marriage vows? Plenty or hunger, he said this is in verse 12, plenty or hunger, abundance or need. Sounds kind of like in plenty or in want, in sickness and in health. Right? I don't care as long as I have you. What you and I want is to come home to someone who loves you for you and me for me and is going to love you and me no matter what the circumstances are. This is a love that transcends circumstances. How powerful then is it that Paul describes, the Bible describes us, the church, as the bride of Christ? In verse 12, Paul says he has learned the secret to contentment. And he hints at what that is in verse 13 when he says, I can do all things through him. Him is Christ who strengthens me. This is the secret to contentment. Paul says, I am in Christ. He is mine and I am his. And if he has Christ, if Paul has Christ, he is content. He will be okay. Because Paul knows that Christ's love transcends both lack and abundance, plenty and poverty. It is a transcendent love that transcends circumstances. He is loved and he is going to be loved no matter what. You know, and these weren't just words for Paul, because at this point in his life, he had been in the trenches of serving Christ for decades. Paul had been a man of influence and authority, but Christ was much more satisfying to him. Paul had, been, had eaten well, but it was Christ who nourished him. Paul had had friends with nice houses and comfortable rooms, but when he, God called him to leave those, he didn't miss it because he had Christ. Paul had had plenty but Christ was much better. But Paul had also had want. He had been shipwrecked, shipwrecked, and Christ was his solid ground. Paul had been beaten, but Christ was his strength. Paul had lost friends, and Christ was his brother. Paul had had sleepless nights. Christ was his rest and joy. Paul had had plenty, and Christ was much better. Paul had had want, and Christ was enough for him. What makes you, what about, what about you? What makes you content? You know, one that affects a lot of us is loneliness. That might be singleness or wanting a relationship and not having it. It might be just desiring friends and not seeming being able to find them. Or it might be missing friends and worrying that maybe they've moved on while I've been away. Christ transcends your loneliness. His love transcends your loneliness. His love is much better. And if you're in him, you have that love. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, listen, get over it. Get over your loneliness. He says, no, no, no. Listen, you need to understand that you're mine. And those things, they hurt, yes. But my love is here to make them more endurable to you. Less is at stake because his love transcends our loneliness. Well, what are the other places in which you feel your lack? Maybe it's the loss, loss of a loved one, loss of a job, loss of a a marriage, many things that we lose in this life or things we don't have. Maybe it's just being ordinary, like not being exceptional in any way. What if if it's just um, feeling like, you know, I can't quite get ahead in the way that I want. I can't quite find the job that I want. I can't quite have the marriage I want. My kids aren't doing quite as well as I want. We feel our lack in so many ways. and In the midst of your lack, the places where you feel your lack, that pressure point, that is where Jesus wants to show you how wonderful his love truly is. Christ transcends your lack but he also transcends your abundance. What would it mean for Christ to transcend your abundance, to make you content in the midst of your riches? Well, I think that can actually be harder to grasp than the lack. Because we have had plenty, and it feels good, right? And in fact... um, when we have plenty, we feel like we can always buy the next thing that will actually satisfy us or help us to control our lives into happiness. I think for those of us who have plenty, the love of Christ will call us to lean into a sort of redemptive discontentment where where we recognize that nothing in this world is really going to scratch that itch, no matter how good it might be. It's not going to fully and totally satisfy us to fill our hearts and to recognize that and to lean into it. The way that we can be content in the midst of plenty is to be redemptively redemptively dissatisfied with the plenty and to be satisfied only in the love of Christ, which is that which can actually satisfy us, can actually give us contentment, contentment transcends your circumstances, because contentment is attached to the transcendent love of Christ. Contentment transcends, but also contentment transforms. This is my second point. There's a classic book written by an English Puritan named Jeremiah Burroughs, and the book is called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, which is just a Great word picture, I think. The rare jewel of Christian contentment. In this book, Jeremiah Burroughs, he gives an illustration that I think is really helpful. He says that trying to get contentment from our circumstances is like hanging a, a coat by the fire. The, coat, the fire may warm the coat, but if you are sickly and cold and you put on that warm coat, very quickly the coat will get cold. If, however, you are healthy and warm, you can put on cold clothes and they will very quickly warm from the heat of your body. That's how contentment works. If your heart is warm, if your heart is full, all the circumstances that that you face in your life will be transformed by it, by that warmth. Now, what we've been saying is that the internal warmth that you and I need comes from the love of Christ. But how does that love then begin to transform our circumstances? Well, two ways I think that come from this passage, although there would be many other ways in other passages, but two ways that come from this passage is that it strengthens you and it strengthens communities. It strengthens you. So look at verse 13 for me. He says, I can do all things through him, who strengthens me now this is one of the most misused verses in all of scripture you can almost imagine it like in the high school weight room it's on the ceiling right above the bench press like as they i can do all i can get a couple more 45s on this bench press through christ who strengthens me that is not what paul means here This passage is not about aptitude or skill. We have to read it in context like we do with any scriptural passage. We want to read it in the context of the passage it comes in. What Paul is saying is he's saying, I can be content in any circumstances, and Christ will give me the strength to be content. In whatever and wherever God calls me, I can thrive and I can be content. Paul is in prison. And yet you see at the beginning of verse 10, what does he say? He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. He's able to rejoice. He is so happy. Why? Because the warmth of Christ warms even the walls of his prison cell. Now, there's a lot of ways that we might think about Christ strengthening us. For example, God can supernaturally give us fortitude and courage to do things that we can't do in our own strength. Um, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, "Listen, you are going to go before rulers and kings, and I don't want you to worry about what to say, because when you're there in that moment, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say." Paul, elsewhere, he says, "When when I am weak, Christ, I find Christ to be strong. When I am weak, He is strong." So there are these moments in which God, Christ, can strengthen us in a moment beyond our own ability. But I actually think that those are probably more the exception than the rule for our lives. And in fact, but, and I've been thinking about it this way, this is how I've been um, trying to process what does it mean for Christ to strengthen us. Well, if you can imagine um, a boy, a boy who grows up in a family, it's a big family, has a lot of siblings, and, um, and, his, and his parents love him dearly. And in fact, they are never too busy for him, although they're pillars of the community. They have a lot of things that they're doing, and yet they always have time for him, and they value him for who he is, and his siblings actually love him, and they have fun with him, and they're so glad when he's in the room, and they want him with them when they do things. But it's not just his nuclear family. He actually has aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents who all are so excited when he walks in the door, and he knows who he is with his family. He knows that he has a place of security and love, and he's valued at home, at this family. However, this kid's in middle school. This boy's in middle school. And as we all know, middle school can be kind of cruel. It can be kind of rough. And he just so happens to not be particularly smart or particularly athletic or particularly cool or good-looking. And middle school is rough as a result. He is just bullied all the time. Is is this boy going to be okay? Is he going to make it? Yeah, of course he is. Why? Because he knows that he is loved and valued by so many people. Right? The security of his family, that warmth, warms him even in the midst of a very difficult middle school experience. Well, the same is true of us with God's love. We have a father whose love is not going to change. We have a brother who values us and knows us and cares for us and wants to be with us, Jesus Christ. The love of the family of God can be depended on and leaned on. It strengthens us it's the strength of Christ is not necessarily just this moment, these moments of life. It's all of life. And this is what Paul is, this is the, Paul's experience. He's saying, listen, it, the love of Christ is not just these moments. It's the whole backbone of my whole life. It shapes everything about how I even perceive the world and interact with it. It, is, it strengthens me in everything about myself and about my life. It's more than just a moment. It's an all of life thing and all of life transformation that Paul has experienced and that he wants for the Philippians and for you and for me. The love of Christ strengthens us, but it also strengthens our community. Content people make better friends. Content people make better co-workers, better parents, better spouses. Look at how Paul treats the Philippians. He says, He says in verse 10, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He rejoices greatly, he says, in this gift that they've given him. But he tells them, it's not because I needed it. I rejoice greatly because it reminds me of how good of friends we are. And that you love me and I love you. And he just loved that. That's what encouraged him. That's what made him rejoice in this gift. Imagine if you can a community where everyone is content. Not apathetic or lazy. Those are different things. But their hearts are full with contentment. What would relationships in that community look like? Well, what about this? Friendships without networking. Friendships without networking, that nothing nothing against networking in and of itself, but just imagine if when you met people, there were no strings attached. They just wanted to know you for you and be with you to be with you. They wanted to be your friend because they valued you, not what you could get them. There's no desperate neediness, neediness no having to get something out of you, not having to climb the social ladder, or get into these certain circles so that so that I can climb to a certain level or whatever it is. There is none of that. Just valuing people for who they are and who God made them to be. You're not a project. You're not a means. You're a friend. You know, now I know many of you are not from Puerto Rico, Um, but if you will let it Puerto Rico will teach you how to slow down enough to be friends and to know people. To slow down enough to sit in downtime with people. Because that's when you really get to know them. To slow down the frantic pace of our lives so that we can spend time with our children, so we can find downtime to get to know our children, not just what they do, but who they are and who God has made them to be. Sometimes I'm wor- I worry that our frantic pace of our consumption and our need for more, more, more has stripped us of our ability to know our neighbors and our children and our spouses and our friends and our church and our town. A community transformed by contentment would be so much more human. It would be wonderful, it would be loving, and it would be strong. Contentment can transform our communities. I'll close with this. Do y'all remember a few years ago? This must have been when ten years ago. I don't. I, although they might still be doing it, those Corona commercials, where basically you had two beach chairs and you were looking through them out at the beach, and you just saw like a Corona with a fresh lime, and then chink, two hands. You know, they clink them together. Do y'all remember that? The only. And the fascinating thing about that commercial is there were no words. It was just the sound of the waves lapping on the beach. No words at all for like 30 seconds. How, how can you make a commercial with no words? How is that possible? The images of a restful, peaceful paradise immediately awaken in us a deep longing for peace and contentment. They know that we don't need to be convinced that we want it. Now we also know that corona is not going to get us there although let's be honest we would love to believe that it will that it will It's not going to get us there but man does it make us long for the satisfaction that it pretends to offer You see it's absolutely crucial how we fill in that blank I will be okay if that blank will shape all of your life. And what Paul is saying is that you don't need more like consumerism would teach us. You don't need less like minimalism would teach us. You don't need a different situation like we tell ourselves. No, what you need is to be filled by the love of Christ. You need that blank to be filled with the love of Christ. Because to to be with him, to know him, and to know his love, that is the only thing that will fill the insatiable longing that we have in our hearts to be satisfied. You can be content regardless of your circumstances. But you know, the Bible does actually promise that your circumstances will change for the better. The Bible says, listen, You really can have it all. And this is why. Because the bridegroom is coming back for the bride. You will be finally and fully okay and better than okay when Jesus himself takes us to that place that we long for. Jesus died for us. He rose for us. He ascended into heaven for us and he is coming back for us. And when he does, he's going to transform the world by his transcendent love. He's going to remake it, and he's going to take that hole that is in our hearts that desperately wants to be filled, and we will experience what it means to be full, to be fully at rest, at peace, content. Corona cannot deliver on its promises. But Jesus absolutely can. He died for us. He rose for us. He defeated sin and death for us. And he most certainly can deliver on his promises. And he can most certainly strengthen us to be now be content in all of our, all of our circumstances. This is the greatest love story that was ever written. And it's absolutely 100% true. The story of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you to fill us. We need to meditate on your love and know that your love transcends our poverty, our plenty, our lack, our abundance. No matter what circumstance we find ourselves, Lord, we need to know what it means to be satisfied in you. Lord, we thank you for your love. That has nothing to do with things that we've done or accomplished but is bestowed on us out of your good grace and mercy and your longing to be with us, to know us, be near to us, and to have us with you. Holy Spirit, make us more like Jesus. Fill us with his palpable presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.